Hello again, everyone, and welcome to a special Encore presentation of the Three Point Podcast. Our crew includes the youngster, Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our middleman is Matt Burns of ESPN and the SEC Network in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm the old-timer, Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 Radio. Our partners include Advanced Elevator, the Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, Sheridan Auction Service, Promec Engineering, along with our online syndication teammates, Sports Radio Detroit. Subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or any of the other big podcast hosting sites, and hit us up with your comments and questions on social media at 3 Pod. On this episode, we have some fun interviews we did with Wes Blankenship from episode 98 and Mike Camerlango from episode 103. We think you'll enjoy it, and it all starts rolling right after this short pause for the cause. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. Okay, guys, so let's get this podcast going with with a, an interview that we're all really excited for. I came across Mike's videos and some of his stuff on social media when I saw these 60-second classics. We're, we're all movie fans. We all know that, people who listen to this podcast. And these videos you have to go to and check them out on Instagram. The handle is at 60-second classics. Go check those out. But we have the creator of those videos, Mike Camerlango, on to chat with us. He's been on MTV's Joking Off. I edited some of his stuff when he did some stuff on ESPNU, the show Unite. He's got a bunch of other stuff, 12 beers, a web series. If you haven't come across anything, head to his Twitter page, at mcamerlango on Twitter, and just see everything that he's about. So we're excited to chat with Mike. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And perfect pronunciation of my last name. That is, you nailed it. So thank you for that, too. Well, I'm good. I, I'm glad you say that because, you know, that, that could go a bunch of different ways, and especially the three of us are from Michigan, and, you know, you always hear about that Michigan accent. So definitely didn't want to miss up the last name, so I'm glad I no, got no, that No, right. no, it was great. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm going to start off. The first question I have to ask, I said the, the first thing that kind of – made me want to see if you wanted to come on this podcast and chat with us. Were those 60-second classics videos? Break down, the, the, I guess, the process of those. Are, are you a big, you're obviously a comedian, but are you a big movie fan? Kind of what's the process of putting those videos together? Yeah, so I, I've always loved, you know, pop culture. I've always loved movies and TV shows. And it kind of came from a place, I, I started doing a version of them maybe a year or two ago where it was, I was playing kind of more of a character, and I was using it as a way to just kind of showcase my writing so I could, you know, make a video or two and be like, here's a bunch of jokes, but also something, you know, jokes about something that I like. Because all the movies I do, I, I really like, even if they're, you know, not the best movies by, by you know, Rotten Tomatoes score or whatever, I, I, there's something about them that I enjoy. So at this point, it's like I'll, I'll identify a movie, I'll, if I know the movie well, it makes it way easier. I'll figure out kind of the plot points, write out, you know, six to eight kind of long sentences, and then just try to find spots for jokes. And my goal with it is just to kind of give you, take you through the movie so you know what's happening, but also try to have some, you know, one-liners throughout it. Because at the end of the day, it's I'm, I'm trying to make it, you know, a funny video more than just a straight recap because, you know, I leave out a lot of plot points in these videos, so... 
Well, I think you recap them pretty well, and and I think you kind of touched on a little bit, uh, Mike, that uh, you know you're a writer, and you can tell that when you put the put the delivery together. I mean, you know, a couple of your presentations, Christmas Vacation, and I'm watching it, and I hear. Turkey Queef, okay, that got me laughing. Or or, ha- or Happy Gilmore, uh, Upper Decker and Grandma's Toilet. I mean, that's yeah, just brilliant yeah. writing. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you say that because that, that was kind of the, the the whole reason I started them was just another way to show off my writing. I, I, at the time when I was doing them, when I started doing them, I was doing a lot of, you know, applying to kind of a lot of writing jobs, and a lot of these jobs have writing packets. You know, you could write a, a thing and they can read it, or I, I thought it's might make me stand out a little bit more if I had these pieces that I that I did, and uh, you know it helped a little bit, but it would it more of a uh, it became more of a thing that people just enjoyed them, and, and it's kind of growing on its own. So I'm kind of just following uh, following the fun with it and, and uh, keeping going. You've been in a lot of commercials, which is kind of wild to say, including like ones like Fox Sports and stuff like that. What's it like being in a commercial? That just seems like an all time flex that when you see yourself like in, in a nationally like syndicated commercial that you just feel like incredible what's that like the whole commercial process is so funny because it's so the whole thing is so stupid because you go on all these auditions and you know you see there's there's a hundred people there and you're doing in the the line between why you got booked and why you didn't it, it could be anything so it's it's uh it, it's it's a really like it's a funny but also very discouraging thing to just go out to these commercial auditions and you go in and say one line and they're just like, yeah, all right, see ya. But, like you said, if you book something, then you're feeling real good about yourself. You're like, yeah, I am the guy who should be selling soap. You know, you just get this big hit. So, yeah, that Fox Sports one I did was fun. And then everybody said on the Internet, they were like, is this the worst commercial ever made? So it kind of brought me back down a little bit. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad. It was fine. I, I thought it was good. You know, your background did. You know, you, you were on the MTV's Joking Off. You were a regular on that series. But did you ever do stand-up? And if so, kind of what is the difference between doing stand-up, writing, writing jokes to in front of a live studio audience or whatever, versus writing for these 60-second classic videos or some of the commercials or anything else that you do? So I did, I did stand-up for a while. I, I don't do it anymore. I, I was more of a performer. Like, I, I did improv for a long time. I did a lot of sketch comedy. And I would always do stand-up enough to just kind of keep the muscles. But to be a good stand-up, you got to be going out like, you know, 10 times a week or something. And that just wasn't my thing. Because I never really wanted to be a stand-up. I, I do like kind of writing specific jokes. And that's what the 60-second classics to do. I think in stand-up, unless you're maybe a one-liner person, it's, it's more story-driven. And, and while you do need to have jokes, it's not as much. You know, set up punch, set up punch, set up punch. Unless you're one of those comedians who does that, but but that's really hard to do over a you know ten to fifteen minute set. Now, uh, give us a little bit more about your background, Mike. I mean, you're currently in New York, right? Were you always a New Yorker? So I'm a uh, Massachusetts guy. I I grew up uh, in a suburb outside of Boston and went to Quinnipiac College, which is in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, when I was a senior, I started doing some comedy, and I would go down to New York, which was about an hour and 45 minutes away, take a train, and I would start doing comedy. I was doing improv classes. So as I was getting set to graduate, I just made the decision to, you know, let's let's try this out in New York. And that was oh, 2007. So I've been down here ever since. And, yeah, I kind of moved around. In New York, but uh, in been in Brooklyn for the past seven years. And then you know um, you're doing a lot of this stuff that we're talking about. But w- where do you make your bread and butter? I mean, all over the place. I mean, there was a while where I was working. You know, I when I first moved to New York, I was working in real estate. Mm-hmm. I was working. You know, I w- worked as a waiter. I worked in a wine store. All that stuff of like uh, someone who wants to keep their schedule more flexible. Um, but more recently, I've been able to make money and make a living freelance writing and all that stuff. So now people are hiring me to, you know, whether it's write branded spots or, you know, create videos for them. I'm, I've, recently, I've been creating a lot of videos in the vein of 60 Second Classics for companies. I, I did one for Bleacher Report, and I got a couple other ones that may happen. So it, it's, it is cool. The, the thing... 
that I kind of wanted to happen is is starting to a little bit in that people are coming to me and saying, "Hey, we like this thing. We want you to. We want your style to help us out with something." So uh, that's been nice. So you you worked on we we mentioned it in the intro. You worked on the show Unite, which I was a little bit too young. I mean, it aired in 2012. I was still in grade school, so I wasn't quite able to stay up until midnight. But the idea of a sports like late night television like entertainment show sketch comedy show seems like a good idea like why don't you think it worked out i don't know it it was a great idea i I think sports comedy shows have always kind of not worked out and i don't know the exact reason because there seems to be a lot of overlap but i don't know if it's because you know people don't like when you joke about their team or if it's to me it's like when you do a sports comedy show and it's all about sports Everything's sports, sports jokes, sports jokes. There's only so many sports jokes you can make. So I think to kind of center it on that, but but to feel free to get away from it. I think on Unite we did that a little bit. Um, and it was a great place to work. I mean, I, I really learned how to write and edit and produce. Like, they would give me a budget every week, and I would go off and write and act in a sketch and edit it with my friend who was directing it. So that was a great time for me to just, like, figure out how to write, how to act, how to do all that stuff. And, you know, they would put it on at 12.45 in the middle of the night. So it was great that uh, even the, the swings and misses, you know, didn't really hurt you or anything. Um, but it, it's something that I do think about, the sports comedy thing. I know, like, Norm MacDonald had a show a couple of years ago I thought was really funny, but I don't know. I don't know what the, the, the key is to creating a successful one. You know, speaking of sports and comedy, you had a clip Jared actually shared with me earlier today, uh, the Baba Booey thing, and, you know, it's close to my heart because I'm a Howard Stern slappy. What was your involvement with that? I basically pitched them that idea. I knew that, you know, I think it was coming up on a five-year anniversary of uh, Baba Booey's infamous first pitch, (laughs) and um, I I have a contact over there, so I kind of put together a little you know, one minute thing and said, you know, this would be funny if you guys wanted to do this. And then they were like, yeah, this is great. And we kind of bounced some stuff back and forth. And then I ended up being the, uh, you know, one of the guys that uh, Baba Booey coached when he was a, when he was a kid. <laughs> right. Was a kid, which was great. I got to break out my Baba Booey first pitch impression. So uh, it, it, was, it was awesome to do because I'm a big Stern fan. So it was great. No, that, that one definitely is really funny. And I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago about swings and misses. And like what we're doing with podcasts, you don't hit on everything. You know, we've definitely had some podcasts that didn't do as well or we didn't feel as well, but then some other ones that performed really well. It's got to be the same with comedy. What is it that kind of keeps you going? Because is it the ones that just blow up or, you know, go viral, if you want to say it that way? Or do you ever have the ones that you thought would go viral, but they don't really hit? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the ones that don't work. You're usually able to pinpoint why. Ideally, that's that's the best case scenario where you put something out. And you go, yeah, this didn't really work because it was kind of like this, or you know, maybe the writing was a little off, or I, I did this. But um, it can be frustrating if you think something's really good and it just doesn't click for whatever reason. Um, I, I think the yeah, what, what keeps you kind of going back to the well is is the ones that do. It's just kind of that positive reinforcement. So if you have a couple things that kind of don't do well or you're not getting much traction and you know you'll get someone who's like oh this is awesome i mean it's the same thing as when you're gonna when, when i used to you know i don't do it too much anymore but go out for commercial auditions and stuff and you know you go out to 10 auditions and you're like what the hell am i doing this is you know nothing 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 and then someone's like oh you're the funniest guy this is awesome and you're like hey maybe i am you know so it's <laughs> that like a little bit of positive reinforcement to to keep you going and uh that helps i don't know maybe life would be a lot better maybe if you didn't get that because then you could just quit this racket and live a normal <laughs> life i don't know <laughs> it's kind of like we talk a lot of sports it's kind of like golf it's you know it's like that <laughs> that one hole that you hit a perfect drive and you have a birdie that's what keeps you coming back but like you said you probably shouldn't like set your sights too high like you're probably not that good of a golfer just yeah, that's one all birdie. When you get you could shoot a 120 and all you're thinking about is that drive on the 16th <laughs> hole you know so it's a sickness <laughs> So you you worked with Vinny from Jersey Shore on, on Joking Off. Like he's got to be one of the coolest people you've ever worked with, right? Yeah, he was like a full time celebrity. We we were on a uh, we got paired up uh, on a team. The, the way the show worked, it was like three teams of two, and it was like a comedic game show. So you guys would go out together and do little bits and all that stuff. But I remember we were walking down. We had rehearsal by Penn Station, and we were walking, you know, a couple blocks. It was kind of a busy part of town. But we were just walking, talking together, and people were, like, their mouths were dropping when they were looking at us. And I was like, what the hell? And I'm like, oh, sh- oh, this is Vinny. Like, everybody.
everybody knows this guy. He is, he is big time. And it, it was just so funny to see. Uh, but yeah, that was the, uh, that was my, my first uh, standing next to a celeb moment. <laughs> did you ever like go to a bar or a nightclub or something like with him? Because you must, if you did, you would have felt like a king that night. I know, I know. No, I, I definitely should have uh, tried to hang out with many more. We should have, uh, I think the only time we all got together was like the rap party, but that was kind of a closed event. So, <laughs> Vinny, if you're listening, dude, let's hang out. <laughs> Speaking, <laughs> of, ready. Speaking of MTV, like we, we talk a lot with the, the three different generations that we have on this podcast. MTV has definitely like gone through, I don't know, like generational phases, like the way it started just music videos. I remember like when I was watching MTV growing up, it was TRL was like the biggest deal in the world. You would come home from school to watch TRL, and then, you know, Pit My Ride and all those other shows came out, like Joking Off and everything. Is it Was it cool to work for MTV? I mean, I don't... I know you don't probably don't want to knock them or anything, but what was it like working for MTV? No, I mean it was it was interesting because you know when I was doing it, I was, it's like you said, like if you told twelve or fourteen year old Mike that you'd be on a show on MTV, I would have thought I I had made it. I was like the king, you know. Um, but when I was there, it was still a cool thing. I think MTV at that point it started to lose kind of its you know MTV and cable in general. I mean, all these channels aren't, aren't really the thing that they used to be. So, you know, you're on TV, yeah, you know, there's two 2,000 channels. So uh, it was definitely cool, but it wasn't probably as, as cool as it would have been if it was 2004. Well, I want to ask you back to the 60-second classics, Mike. I mean, you know, I, I scanned through quite a few of them. Kickboxer with Jean-Claude Van Damme, Goodwill Hunting, you know, the others, they're, they're awesome. But do you have a favorite? Oh, um, you know, I look at them like my children. I, I like some of them better than others, but I can't really bring myself to say which one. Okay, that's fair. So I, I, I think it's, um, I, I actually really like the uh, the Karate Kid one, I, I think, is my one of my favorites. I think that was the first, which is funny, I have a good friend who, who said he doesn't really like that one. And he liked, he's like, I like all your videos, I don't really like the Karate Kid one. And I'm like, well, that's my favorite one. But I think that the reason is that was the first one I kind of figured out, like, the tone of it. Because, I, like I said, I'd been doing this, kind of flailing around trying to figure out how to do these recaps. They used to be, I used to have them with me on camera, and then I used to do them, there were two minutes, and then that was the first one where I just kind of hit, like, joke, 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 and, like, just going through the movie, the music works, and, and that's the one I think, if you had to say which one, which one's number one, I would say The Karate Kid, in kind, my heart. Kind of got it going. And, uh, you know, you also did some other ones, not just on movies. Bill Gates was also hilarious. Oh, right, yeah. It was... Uh, cool to kind of break out of that was just kind of on a whim i, I did the, the i did a say by the bell one too with zach and slater are fighting so i i um i do the recaps and then i'm doing some some kind of scene commentary too it kind of all feeds in together and uh it's good it's a nice little change up i think with those two kinds of videos you made a website basically dedicated to finding a, a brand new slow pitch softball team head on our podcast kind of <laughs> champions himself as a legend of slow pitch softball so maybe like what's your sales pitch as to why he maybe should add you to a swap <laughs> well thank you for uh finding that website it's actually something i'm very proud of yeah i would say i'm a i'm a team player i'll always know you know i'll always call ahead to chili's get us a spot i will uh you know i'll dive i feel like that's a good teammate someone who's willing to dive absolutely I wear sweatpants, so there's no excuses. No, no, like I can't wear shorts. Um, and I'll, I'll always show up early. You know, I mean that's pretty good. That's a good teammate showing up early, getting everybody into Chili's big table and sliding. Those are my three. I got, I got a spot for you, Mike. I mean, no kidding. <laughs> I'm ready. All, I'm all ready. right. I played a couple years ago. We were playing for a while, and guys just started dropping like flies. So maybe this is the year I make a comeback. Sounds sounds those, really good. Those are a lot of the big qualities for a good slow pitch softball teammate. I would say also the guy that always brings the sunflower seeds or like oh, yeah. the the bubble gum, right? The big old bucket of bubble gum. Those are always good teammates too. Or makes the yeah, beer yeah. run afterwards. Exactly. Well, we we talk a lot before we maybe start to get you out of here. If anyone else has questions, but we talk a lot about our glory days. You know, back in the day playing playing sports in high school or the intramurals in college or slow pitch softball. And I know you have a pretty legendary intramural flag football story from college that we have to hear about. Wait, which one's that? You won you won a championship in college playing intramural flag oh, football, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's on my website too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it was senior year of college. Intramurals, and the thing, our intramurals were, 
they were terrible because they were at like eight in the morning on the weekends and just a bad a bad time if you're trying to have fun the night before. So we were uh, we were down in the semifinal game probably by three touchdowns. And you know we just we just rallied together and made it made a comeback. And then in the finals, forget about it. Once we won that game, forget about it. And the best part of that story is that the kid, one of my good friends who was on our team the year before, who who loved intramural football like nothing. He transferred to a different school, and uh, us winning, it just broke his heart. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's something we still talk about to this day. Well, that's awesome stuff. And I'll tell you, Mike, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. Uh, you got so much good stuff going on. We're going to be talking about it further down the road. But uh, I really hope we can maybe touch bases with you again down, sometime uh, in the future. Uh, this has been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I, I'd definitely love to come back. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll add a video to that softball website and we can talk about that. All right. We'll, <laughs> we'll be looking for some upcoming uh, movie movie uh, takes, too. Yeah, yeah. I should have another video this week. So uh, I'll get I'll get some good going. All right. Again, tell our listeners the best spot to, to maybe hop on board and follow you, Mike. Uh, yeah. So 60 Second Classics on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at mcameralingo. And also just launched a podcast 60 second classics same name um it's just a short kind of thing that goes along with my videos each week you need about 15 20 minutes easy to listen to on the can so check it out that's <laughs> <laughs> what it's all about well we we appreciate it mike take care and uh have a good year thank you guys thanks you too the chronoconnection.com knows it's great to be gold keep up to date on cavalier nation at chronoconnection.com Advanced Elevator Company features top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators, an area business leader, and a longtime huge supporter of the Corona Public Schools and a proud partner of Three Point Podcast. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast, are there for you. We want to be there for them. They're open for food and beer takeout, including a wide variety of craft brews and growlers. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill in Corona. Well, everybody likes a great deal, right? Well, go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on upcoming auctions. The auction house is packed with all kinds of great items. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com. Sign up for email notifications or give Troy Crow a call at 989-720-SELL for other details. Okay, Dirtville and Coffee Town been talking about it all week. Time for the Big Tire pregame show. We'll send it down to Coach Swansea. Coach, talk to us about your guys. Coach, tell us about this game. Okay, Bartrez kicks it off for Coffee Town. It's a touchback. Coffee Town hands it off to Donnie Chugs. Chugs picks up three. Chugs again picks up two. Man, that joker can run. Whoa. Man alive, that sucker can carry the football. I tell you what, just give the ball to Donnie Chugs and let that turkey work. Okay, time for the Big Tower Halftime Show. We're here with Coffee Town quarterback Ashley Holt. Ashley, we forget y'all are students too, but I guess that's why they call you student-athletes. What's your favorite subject? Who's your favorite teacher? And what do you do in your free time besides fish and eat? Special delivery, Ashley Holt or Ronnie Chugs. Both the Chugs brothers on the board. Can one of y'all get me a chili pup and a hot chocolate? Coffee Town now 0-4, losing to Dirtville 42-12. to Well, there it is, guys. You just heard it. Coffee Town. West Blankenship. Uh, it, it's a super cool story. I came across him on, on Twitter. I saw that video and thought it was hilarious and just have seen the reaction to Coffee Town and everything that, that Wes is doing with it. So I, And then I also saw him on the Marty McGee show on SEC Network, and you know, it was hilarious there. So I thought, hey, this would be a perfect opportunity to talk to someone that kind of comes from a background that you know we, we're all working in the media business. And Ted has been calling high school football for 30-plus years. So I thought it would be cool to have Wes on to talk. So you can follow Wes on Twitter, at Wes underscore Nship. He's an Atlanta sports broadcaster, and he's the host of the Back Porch Sports Podcast. So we're excited to have him on. Wes, how's it going? Go well, man. That was a heck of an introduction, man. I appreciate <laughs> y'all having me on tonight. Yeah, we're, we're excited to chat. So, I mean, I don't know. There, there's only one, one place to start. Coffee Town. Where, where did this come from? Is this something you've been cooking up since, like, high school, or did it just come to you? What, where did Coffee Town come from? Yeah, I mean, uh, covering Georgia high school sports for my entire career, uh, nearly a decade throughout college and um, out in the real world and just growing up in Georgia, you understand 
the importance that the local high school radio voice has in the community. For anyone driving through that's actually trying to follow the game or maybe you can't find anything better on the radio, you end up stopping by and just listening to a bunch of voices that you know nothing about. So it's just uh, something that I found to be part of the pulse in the southeast. And as the videos started to go viral, I've done five of them now on Twitter, I've gotten responses from all over the country. And um, the original caption of them was high school football radio announcers in the south. And I got responses from Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Maryland, California. I mean, these are the types of things that you hear wherever you may happen to be in the USA on a Friday night in the fall. Well, and it's not to blow smoke up uh, Ted's behind to keep it a little clean. No, but, go, uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. it's exactly what you're talking about. Ted has been calling high school football for 30-plus years. He'd be, the, he'd be the best one to tell you. But, I mean, we joke about it. He is He's the voice of mid-Michigan high school football in the area that we all grew up in. So, so yeah, you're spot on, and it's really cool. So I'm curious. It's not, it's not making fun of anything, right? Like, it's hilarious what you're doing. You're not trying to, like, make fun of what it is. You're almost trying to, like, pay homage to it. Oh, yeah, totally. It's, it's all the utmost respect because I know that those guys, if they're, you know, getting paid at all to do it, it's probably not very much. And uh, it's totally just a thing that I do out of respect and just kind of my sense of humor to, I guess, observe what's happening in the place that I grew up and put a little bit of my own spin on it. But, yeah, there's no single voice that I'm making fun of or trying to put down. I think it's just all in good fun and I hope that that comes across when people hear it. You know, I have been doing it a long time, and I have, <laughs> I love checking out different uh, high school play-by-play guys, and I can see exactly where you're coming from with this. This would be very cool, entertaining, especially coming from the neck of the woods you're at. I mean, everybody's heard the classic calls from some of the different colleges down there, and I can only imagine what it's like for the high school broadcasters following their local team. Yeah, I would say the single word that is trending with any response I've gotten to the videos I've done is accuracy. And, you know, I think that's what makes it to the people that hear it. I think that's what makes it so funny is that I've hit the nail on the head for whoever may be listening because it's all coming from things that we've all heard growing up. So, yeah, it's just it's just the accuracy of that. Maybe some of it is uh, hyperbolized a little bit uh, for comedic effect but i think it is just that voice those names the cadence um it's not your uh top of the line broadcast expectation that you might hear on a college football broadcast so i think all those things combined makes that experience something that feels real to people to switch gears i mean you've covered a lot of cool stuff in your day i mean the sec championship the super bowl the rose bowl the Masters. Which one of those was the coolest? I mean, it has to be the Masters, right? Uh, yeah, for me, you know, as you've heard, I'm sure if, if you haven't been to a Super Bowl, you'll hear that attending a Super Bowl, it just it feels like a corporate event. It doesn't necessarily feel like a huge game when you're in it. The week feels amazing, and uh, to see the community and the city of Atlanta this past February embrace the Super Bowl was really special, and me being an Atlanta native was really cool. But, yeah, the Masters, you just can't help but be reverent when you go out on the course. And there is the awareness that it is totally man-made and manufactured and landscaped. Um, there's no hill that size in Augusta, Georgia. Um, that's as tall as, I believe, the uh, Statue of Liberty, as some people have shown on, on some graphics. That doesn't naturally happen in Augusta, Georgia. But when you go out on the course and you see the names and you see the golfers and and the way that they honor their golfers, and also from a media perspective, the way that they treat the media, uh, the closest thing I can compare it to was covering the Rose Bowl. Those two events are put on with the utmost respect for the people covering them, just as much as the people attending the event uh, respect the athletes and respect the teams that are there. So the Masters in Georgia, they continue to do it right, and uh, they've continued to get better. I'd say the most impressive thing to me is how they've continued to adapt to the 21st century. They had the women's amateur event uh, this past spring, and uh, they, they stay up to date uh, with their technology and the way they distribute videos to us and audio. It's just it's top-notch year in and year out, and that is definitely a highlight of my career. I was going to ask you about, we've, we've had some guests on before 
who have kind of become like social media personalities or started to gain a following on social media from some of the work that they do. And we like to ask them, or I, I've asked them a couple times, like, how do you kind of navigate through all of the responses that you get? So, you know, you were talking about getting responses to your videos from all over the country. You know, it's got to be tough to kind of keep up with. So how do you navigate while also, you know, you know, you want to try and engage with the fans. You want to talk to them and stuff. So how do you, how do you kind of handle that? Well, it's easy when the responses are all positive. And uh, most of the responses to Coffee Town have certainly been positive. But I think I just I look at Twitter as, A, it's, it's a platform for me that I've always found suited my personality. And I love one-liners. I love uh, just communicating with people with a uh, sense of humor that's sharp but also kind of dry and witty. And I think Twitter has always been about that. I almost miss the 140 character limit because that really forced you to, to use your best stuff. But, um, but yeah, for me, I look at Twitter as a way to engage with people as I would if I were sitting in the same room with them. So if they've taken the time to talk to me, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to do my best. Not every single tweet uh, is worth a response. You know, I, I try not to engage with people that are being negative just because it's, it's ultimately never makes you feel good about yourself um, when you're trying to prove some sort of point on Twitter. I must, I much more enjoy having somewhat of a conversation with people. And I think lately on Twitter, something I've tried to do, especially if people are having like arguments in my mentions, I try to set up a conversation for them because, A, like, I, I don't care if you're arguing in my mentions. I can mute your conversation. But why don't you guys, like, actually talk? I mean, it's, it's too easy to share a link or share a FaceTime link or a, a Skype. You know, if you guys really want to talk about something, why don't you actually go talk about it? And I think that's the, the cool thing about social media these days, especially with Twitter. You can get to know people. You can get to reach out to them and talk to them and get to know them. So whether it's someone res- responding to me or people responding to each other, I love how this platform, even though you only get a certain amount of characters, it fosters that relationship sometimes that hopefully ends up being positive. There's so many negative things and so much trash on Twitter. I love engaging with people in a way that is positive, and that makes my day because it's so easy to do it. Yeah, that that's an awesome response, and honestly, like that, that kind of gets me... Uh, well, it's kind of like a motivational response because it is true. Like it, as cool as social media is for all the positives that social media does bring, man, there is a a lot of negativity out there, and and it's a shame that people sometimes can't just engage in a positive conversation. That like if you disagree with someone or if you present a rebuttal to something that they said, it immediately turns nasty or it immediately oh, yeah. turns into an argument. A little bit about yourself, Wes. Uh, uh, where'd you go to university? Tell us a little bit about uh, you know your career, and uh, you know you already talked about how you started uh, Coffee Town, but uh, give us a little background. Yeah, so I grew up in a place called Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is about twenty-five minutes north of Atlanta, depending on the traffic and what time of day you're leaving the city. Yeah. So I grew up there and went to the University of Georgia, and really had a fortunate time there getting my background in journalism and newspapers. That was my major in the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication in Athens. I had four and a half years there. I got one extra football season, which was desperately needed (laughs) at the time when I was there between 2008 and 2012. Had some lean years for Georgia. I know you guys uh, keep up with Matt Stafford up there, obviously. Oh, yeah. Got a few years of of Matthew playing quarterback as the uh, preseason number one team the country and it was all downhill from there until my final two football seasons getting to follow Aaron Murray play in uh, two SEC championships one of them the greatest game that I still think I've ever been to is the 2012 Alabama Georgia SEC championship but uh, I worked for the newspaper student newspaper the red and black up there and graduated with a degree in journalism uh, specifically in newspapers in visual journalism and got my first career opportunity out of Georgia at a station called WMAZ, which is the CBS affiliate in Macon, in Macon, Georgia, and uh, started out as a video journalist, as a photographer, and eventually there was an opening in the sports department. Uh, Courtney Lyle, who now does work for the 
uh, ESPNU and SEC Network as well. She was the uh, sports reporter and anchor that left at the time. She went to Knoxville, so I applied for the sports job there. I'd always had a background covering sports throughout my time at Georgia, and I uh, was fortunate enough to get that opportunity, and I was there for a few years and eventually got promoted within the news corporation that I worked for to the NBC station in Atlanta, where I was a sports producer, reporter, anchor, and host up there for the past three years. And now I'm a free agent waiting for our my wife and I. Our first child is due in February, so Woo! we're excited for that and uh, just enjoying a little bit of time off until that happens. Outstanding. That's a little delayed uh, Christmas present for you, huh? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It it almost feel like she'll be there by the time Christmas rolls around. It'll be a few weeks away, but well, that's outstanding. Pumped for that. As a fan of Georgia, were you okay with their decision to move on from Justin Fields? Because as a Michigan fan, that really screwed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's it's something for me that I was fortunate to cover Jake Fromm's high school career when I was working in Macon because he grew up down there and played ball down there. And when I moved to Atlanta, I was covering Justin Fields in high school. So I got to know each of those guys pretty well and get to see what their high school acclaim was like as they were dealing with it. I also got to cover Trevor Lawrence while he was in high school. So all these Georgia quarterbacks, I feel like I've seen almost their careers from the beginning. But as far as Justin Fields was concerned, I think Georgia was – unlucky with the timing because Justin definitely went into Georgia and felt confident that he was going to be able to beat Jake Fromm out. I still can't think of a situation where Fields was going to knock Jake Fromm out of that starting job. He had just played for a national championship, had the lead in the national championship when he left the field against Alabama, and really had mastered the offense and had gotten things nailed down even as a freshman. He had a pretty strong sophomore season as well, competing with Justin Fields. And I think any narratives that Justin wasn't given a fair shot or he didn't have every opportunity to win that job, I don't necessarily believe that's true. I think he did. I just think for Georgia, for Justin, it was bad timing because there just wasn't enough separation between him and Jake Fromm. Now, obviously, this year things have worked out for Fields, He's taken off, and I can't lie and say that Georgia fans around here aren't watching Justin Fields with a little bit of a nervous eye and wondering, did Georgia make a mistake? Did Kirby Smart not give the job to the right guy? As you look back, I hope that people evaluate that situation for what it was. Yes, the offenses are different in Ohio State and at Georgia, but if you go back and really consider the context of that competition – I don't think Justin Fields would have ever taken Jake Fromm's job when Fields was a true freshman and when Fromm was a true sophomore. Having been at the SEC Network for over three years, I've heard a lot about the, the Jake Fromm-Justin Fields situation. And then I've also like come to really, truly appreciate uh, the passion of the fans in the SEC and, and around here in the ACC, too, with Duke and North Carolina. But especially the SEC, and, I mean, you grew up there. You, you went to Georgia. You know all about it. You've covered the sport. You've, you've been in the, at the SEC championship. You know all about it. And we, you know, we were talking about the Michigan-Ohio State game uh, before we brought you on, and one thing that kind of disappointed us as Michigan fans was looking at the big house and seeing what surely looked like a lot more Ohio State fans than Michigan fans. And Jared was covering the game. He was there on the field, and he said that's what it was like on the field, too. So that, is there a difference, I guess, in your opinion, in the passion of SEC fans than basically anywhere else in the country from what you've seen, you know, covering the sport and watching the sport? You know, I'm not going to lie and pretend that I've gotten a ton of experience covering games in other conferences, stadiums. Um, but the thing that sums it up for me was the trip – that Georgia took to play at Notre Dame, and everyone saw that takeover in South Bend. And I think that was kind of an eye-opening national experience for a lot of people to see that, you know what, not only are Georgia fans hungry for games like this, I think SEC fans are hungry for games like this. I know Alabama's going up there in a couple years for a similar trip. And uh, I, I would imagine that Notre Dame 
has revised its ticket policy to not have such a visual discrepancy in the fans and the stands. But everything I've known about the SEC, especially now with the passion that Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Georgia doing what they've been doing, you can't help but feel like it's a little bit different down here. And I try to say that with as little bias as I can talking to three Michigan guys, (laughs) but that passion is real. And uh, I also saw it a couple weekends ago with Texas A&M fans getting their first crack at a trip to Athens. I think it's criminal that Georgia and Texas A&M hadn't found a way to play each other since A&M joined the SEC. But you saw how passionate A&M fans were to make that trip. Every weekend in the SEC is almost a bucket list type of item. Obviously, teams have down seasons like Arkansas this year, and things aren't going to uh, always go the way that they want them to do. But I think those road trips, those special dates you circle on the calendar, I think it is something special. As for Ohio State fans taking over the big house, I mean, we, I saw something similar with Georgia fans year in and year out when they play at Georgia Tech. You know, once the power in the rivalry has shifted, it's, it's like a, a two-sided coin. The home fans don't necessarily feel, I'm speaking for you guys, but you probably don't feel as, as much of a motivation to show up to the game. You know how State fans are going to travel. It's not that far away, realistically speaking. Same for Georgia and Georgia Tech, a little bit closer. But you look at the motivation, you look at the mindset of these two fans, you don't have games like this every single week. So why not go travel? Why not take over the other team's stadium? You don't see that, though, in the SEC at the Powers, right? I mean, you don't see a bunch of crimson at LSU when Alabama goes there or vice versa. I mean, the power teams in the SEC, you just don't see that, right, for the traveling teams? I'd say it's pretty rare, especially in the stadium, visibly noticed. Right. Now, I visibly noticed Texas A&M fans, they had taken over our favorite restaurant in downtown Athens you know, the night before the game, you know, we couldn't get a seat because it was filled with that Texas A&M maroon. So, yeah, I think as far as, like, making it a destination, yeah, that may happen. But in the stadium, you're not going to notice it at that level. I think that's accurate to say. Are, are tailgates in the South really that good? Are they all there cracked up to be? I mean, it depends how much bourbon is there. <laughs> because yeah, I, I'll tell you, that, that's, uh, that's a big part of it. But the food, I mean, everyone's trying. It's like an episode of, you know, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Every tailgate you show up at, everyone's trying to compete with each other. Who can smoke the best pork butt? You know, who's cooking up the best brisket? Who's made the best Bloody Marys or or screwdrivers that morning? Like, it's like the competition almost flows over from the game into a lot of these tailgates where people are trying to bring their own food. Like, if you show up empty-handed, you're going to get a side eye, you know? So... I think a lot of that is just it's just part of the culture. It's it's a whole weekend affair. People are showing up on Friday nights, rolling in with their RVs, uh, reserving their tailgate spots at six thirty. You know, you guys need to have me up for a Michigan tailgate sometime so I can truly compare the two. But the tailgate atmosphere, especially for a three thirty kick or a seven p.m. kick, is legit. It's just something that's part of your day's activities. You're expected to be there and show up and you better not show up empty-handed. Yeah, I will say definitely, you know, from stories I've heard from people I work with or friends or whoever, they, they basically echo exactly what you're saying. Now, I, tailgates in Ann Arbor at the big house uh, in Columbus, Madison for Wisconsin, you know, there are in, at uh, Happy Valley, you know, at State College for Penn State, there are some very, very good, legit tailgate scenes in the Big Ten. I would say one thing that is different, and, I mean, it's just, not making excuses or anything, is the weather. Because yeah. I've, I've tailgated Michigan games before when we're sitting there in 30-degree weather and it's snowing and we're trying to, like, play cornhole or we're trying to, like, play flip cup and stuff, and it's like, I can't even feel my damn hands. Oh, yeah, you guys would, would mop the floor with SEC fans in those elements. I don't think people would show up. <laughs> we talked about this uh, event all the time, and, and that was – Tiger Woods winning the Masters. I'm under the impression that you may or may not have been at Augusta for that. So where were you, and what view did you have? All right, so, yeah, I was there, and um, hard to, you know, hard to argue that that's not the coolest thing I've had the opportunity to cover. But uh, I've been following him before Amen Corner. I caught up with him right as he was making Amen Corner, and that was where, honestly, he won it because – 
Francisco Molinari had uh, not quite to Jordan Spieth's level, but had a bit of trouble on the par three at 12. And people started to really feel like Tiger had the momentum, and he did. And then on 15, Molinari had another mishap where he hit a pine cone, I believe, as he was trying to avoid that uh, hazard, the, the water hazard right by the 15th green. At that point, the crowds for Tiger were swelling. I mean, they'd been big all day, obviously, but that was when people really started to believe, like, he's going to do it. Like, he's got it. I saw that happen. I saw Molinari hit the pine cone. Just one of those crazy moments, like one of those Masters fluky moments, like, okay, game on. And followed Tiger all the way up through. I didn't I didn't see him on 16 or 17 because I wanted to make sure I got up to 18 in time to see him finish it out. And uh, Brooks Kepka actually had a chance uh, right there, as he did in every major this year. But uh, it was just not close enough. And Tiger hit the putts he needed to hit. And I was right there in the gallery, probably about three rows back from Tiger. And I uh, just see him do his fist pump, throw his hands up in the air. And it was amazing to me because, obviously, he'd won. And it's one of the greatest comeback stories in all of sports history. But I love how visibly and how uh, obviously he had aged because he just shamelessly took his hat off. Right. You know, the guy's <laughs> lost a good bit of hair. You know, he's, he's a little bit more wrinkled now than he used to be. But it was just so amazing to see the, the patrons respond to that and then to see him get to hug his family like his dad hugged him when he won. It was just such a powerful moment and the one that he considers his greatest win because of everything he had to do. He had to come back to do it from not only in the tournament, but come back from all the setbacks in life and setbacks physically. Uh, it was it was just a hell of a Sunday, and I still can't fully wrap my mind around what happened that day and that weekend that made it all happen. But I've got the, uh, the flag from this year. I've got his pin placements from Sunday and all that stuff. So it's one of those things. I, don't, I try not to hang on to too many press badges or credentials or uh, artifacts and stuff like that because I've been to so many things. Luckily, unfortunately, I've been blessed to be at them, but those are the ones that I certainly don't want to let go of. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely a once-in-a-lifetime Masters to be at. They're obviously, all Masters are, but that, that's got to be up there for a lot of people, so that's super cool. You painted the picture for sure. I've got one more question for you, Wes, and then I don't know if, Ted, you want to wrap up so we can get him out of here. Yep, yep. You, you uh, set up your, your career, I guess, your career path since going to Georgia, and you said you started off kind of like in the local news scene as a video journalist, probably like a one-man band type of thing. That's kind of how I got my start in the business. Ted, Ted has been in the radio business doing his thing for over 30 years. I'm, I'm at about 15, a little over 15 years. Jared right now is going to school, but like I, he, he's doing his thing. He's, he's putting himself out there. He's building his resume, been to the big house, covered some Michigan State games and stuff like that. If you had to get you know, one bit of advice for our, the young man in our trio you know, to kind of get his career going, what's one thing in your experience that you threw out there for anyone trying to get started in the media business? Yeah, I would just say soak it all in, man. Just uh, your your uh, energy is going to be high when you're in these situations to cover big games like you've been and, and big atmospheres like you've been in. But honestly, just take the moment to enjoy it. And I would always recommend that the way I have viewed those opportunities is no matter how 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 transparent teams are and uh, athletic departments are these days with their social media, you're still there to do a job that is telling people that can't be there what it's like to be behind the scenes. So just share the coolest things you can. Be yourself. Don't necessarily try to be different because that can get you into trouble. But we all have things as journalists and reporters and as people that naturally set us apart from everybody. So it's the biggest cliche is just being yourself. But be yourself while letting people that aren't lucky enough to have those press credentials be there. Show them in your voice what it's like to be there. Good advice cool. for sure. Yeah, that is good advice. I got one Thank final you. question before. Jared, do you have another question? No, you're, no, you can go ahead. All right, I got one final question for you, Wes. Um, going back to when you were a young rookie, okay, 
and you were covering maybe a football event or a basketball event, do you remember how nervous you were before you asked a question at a press conference, and, and does anything stand out? I'd say that the one thing that has helped me <laughs> through my career is, I guess, I'll say this is a testament to Georgia's uh, journalism program, is they put you in things right away. And I can't really recall a moment where I may have been starstruck or nervous to ask a question, but I will say that I've gone back and looked at some of my early reporting work from, uh, from my days at WMAZ in Macon, and I just want to thank anyone from Macon that's listening to this podcast <laughs> for putting up with the uh, high-pitched, nervous reporting voice of West Blankenship, because it, it's just painful. If you've gone back and listened to any of your older tapes, you know what that sounds like. Oh, that's do I ever know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I can't really recall one of those, like, oh, crap moments asking a question, but, yeah, definitely had some growing pains. All sure. right. Well, Wes, look, we really appreciate the time. Before we let you go again, tell our listeners where, where the best spot is, where they can follow you. Yeah, my name is Wes Blankenship, and so on Twitter my handle is Wes underscore the letter N, the word ship, S-H-I-P, and that's just a handy way to shorten my last name a little bit. And um, also on Instagram, and my podcast name is Back Porch Sports. That's three words, and it's on YouTube and anywhere you find your podcast. And also, don't forget Coffee Town, because I'm, te- I'm definitely checking that out. I'll, I'll probably send an audio tape down for you just to put it on there. Yeah, <laughs> do it, man. I'll, you know, like I said, I've done five of these on Twitter, and I plan to put all of them together in a YouTube clip at some point this week just so everybody can see the full season and storyline of Coffee Town. I think it's a very cool idea and uh, definitely some uh, some future there for growth, without a doubt. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. All right, Wes. Appreciate the time, man. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. That's it for now for our Back to the Future podcast. Remember to subscribe and rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Your comments and questions are always welcome on our social media sites. That's at 3PointPod. And support our 3Point Podcast partners. Tell them you listen in. Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and Promec Engineering. Also, be sure to check out our network friends at Sports Radio Detroit. Thanks again to Wes Blankenship and Mike Camerlingo. We really appreciate your listenership and support of Three Point Podcast. Stay safe and bye just for now.